Welcome to Bricker by Bricker, a podcast to support parents with building productive partnerships between home and school. I'm Jamie Bricker. And I'm Carol Bricker. And we are here once again to discuss topics that are hopefully important to parents as they support their children throughout their educational journeys. And for people who are new to our listening audience, you know, Jamie, you and I are both retired uh, educators, but we like to look at ourselves as being retooling because we're continuing our educational journey just in a little bit different direction. And in our podcast, we share our views from the educator's lens as well as from the parent's lens with the hope of adding some clarity to the educational process and also support parents understanding their child's educational journey. Well, Carolyn, as you well know, over this past year, we've tried to align our podcast topics as best we can with how a school year would evolve. And interestingly enough, today is World Bicycle Day. So what could possibly be a better time to discuss the positive impacts of nutrition, sleep, and physical activity, and how they really do lay the foundation for success at school. And I'm sure that really wasn't what they had in mind when they were developing World Bicycle Day. Uh, You know, they're probably thinking of the environmental impact, possibly the safety aspects, as well as the health benefits. Well, Carol, regardless of their initial mandate, really Bicycle Day, I think it's really important for our discussion point today to really discuss for our audience that, you know, nutrition, sleep, and physical activity clearly have a profound impact on a child's success at school. And today we're going to discuss the reasons behind this impact and also talk about ways that parents can, uh, you know, establish routines, encourage healthy eating, and encourage good physical activity. Now, in terms of sleep, it's recommended that young kids get between 10 and 12 hours of sleep each night. And teenagers should be targeting somewhere in the 8 to 10 hours uh, per night range. Now, sleep certainly offers benefits uh, that affect a child's success at school. For starters, I mean, research has clearly shown that we all learn when we dream. And a person's dreams help light up their brains and it reviews and rehearses information. And it links this to things that we already know, which I just think is fascinating. To me, it's mm-hmm. kind of velcroing new things into our existing kind of folders and files in our brain. And this then strengthens, obviously, the person's neural pathways and helps you learn better in the future. Which that really aligns well with how, you know, we teach kids to to be able to take things that they're learning and apply it to previous information that they have already learned and what we refer to as their schema or previous experiences. So there's some alignment there between the the benefits of sleep and also how we go about teaching kids. And then one suggestion as well that we found that researchers had said was that it would be beneficial possibly to take a nap following a study session or to study right before you're going to bed because that might increase your odds about dreaming about the material that you've studied. Well, Carol, I think at this point it's really important to clarify that going to bed pondering a kind of a richer problem or a concept really makes total sense to me. Mm -hmm. And I think we inadvertently, all of us do that throughout all of our adult lives over some kind of meaty issue. However, that's a real positive benefit of kind of thinking before you go to bed. However, the big negative, I think, would be kind of the traditional pulling the all-nighter and cramming a whole 
list of random facts and figures into your head ready for tomorrow's exam. I think that just kind of overstimulates the brain and there's really nothing to chew on. It's just a whole bunch of stuff. And I think that's counterproductive. And I think, Carol, you'd also agree in today's world with so much more of kind of school assessment times focusing on actual thinking rather than simply recalling that kind of last minute ramming stuff in your brain is really counterproductive. Yes, can definitely be. And then also the whole concept that if you're not getting enough sleep, you're not, your your brain hasn't had that opportunity to kind of rejuvenate. But I'm sure that there's a lot of people out there who are like me and, and don't remember their dreams. And then the ones that I do remember, they don't usually have anything to do with something that I'm I'm learning. They're usually some sort of bizarre dream. Well, as much as much like you, I don't remember my dreams very often. It's really been interesting in studies. They say that even if you don't remember what you're actually dreaming, dreaming is actually a very beneficial process nonetheless. Because it's really cool when they say that something actually happens when you sleep, wherein your brain removes information you don't need and then consolidates what you learned that day. So it's really kind of an ongoing filtering process, which I just find mm-hmm. fascinating. But I'm, I'm also thinking as you're talking about that, that it's a good thing that researchers didn't necessarily study my brain because I think what's happening is too much stuff is being cleaned out and uh, some of the things that I need to recall, I'm not, I'm not being able to do that quite as readily. Well, that's kind of a different issue at our age, Carol. <laughs> but it's not... Ne- only unnecessary information that the the brain is cleaning out. You know, research has also found that when we sleep, toxins that accumulate in the brain throughout the course of the day, they also become flushed out. So again, that rejuvenation of the brain during that sleep time. Well, the rejuvenation is key. And therefore, for students who don't get sufficient sleep on a regular Mm -hmm. basis, they clearly do not have the opportunity to rejuvenate. And in fact, they can have suffer really adverse, you know, physiological, emotional and cognitive effects from ongoing sleep deprivation. As these children are typically more susceptible to serious illness, things like rise in blood pressure, you know, sudden mood swings, aggressive behavior and patient behavior. And really, really most damning overall is just kind of generally lower self-esteem. Certainly. And, and, but and we, as educators, we've seen that well, on a daily basis. Oh, definitely. For well, I'm, I'm going to say I, I've experienced it because, you know, I used to say to you, if I'm tired, hot and hungry, stay away, because those were kind of my signs that I'm not going to be as, as regulated as we would like to be. And for the record, I greatly appreciated those warnings. <laughs> Better for all concerned. (laughs) Better for all concerned. But, you know, occasionally there's going to be situations where something's going on with the the family and your child is going to have a late night. And really, that isn't the concern that that researchers are finding, that they're more concerned around those children or, or individuals in general who that sleep deprivation is continuous. So then I think as a parent, you know, if sleep is so important, then what can I do to ensure that my child gets a good night's sleep? Well, one of the first things, obviously, is the whole idea of routines, which I know we've embedded uh, in numerous podcasts in the past because they're just so important Mm -hmm. that your evening routines are scheduled and kids know how things are going to unfold, when they're going to go to bed and so on. 
and also have kind of wind down calmer activities. I know as parents, we were strong advocates of that. You don't wind your kid up 10 minutes before bedtime. And then expect them to. Like, that's not fair. To calm. And then in terms of like, you know, the nice, soothing, warm bath, make that enjoyable. And a light, healthy snack. You know, bedtime is not the time to pump down the soft drinks and the sugars and the caffeine. And really establish a kind of a environment for a quiet reading time and snuggling up with younger kids right in their bed is really a really win-win. It's so great bonding-wise, but of course, that's also laying the foundation for valuing reading in your household, and that's really how your child becomes a more and more proficient, confident reader. And then another thing that parents can do is is to watch that they're reducing that their child's access to screen time prior to going to bed, because studies have found that the light from the LED screens delay that release of melatonin and really makes it difficult for the brain to wind down. So what they're recommending is that children should have no screen time for about an hour before going to bed. Well, and as you're mentioning, Carol, I mean, the reality is electronics in all respect, they're just a a staple item in our modern world. But uh, one thing with young kids to start off, really that kind of habit is to remove electronics from your child's bedroom. Uh, and for younger kids uh, who, who may have a phone, really set a location in the house that that's where the phone will be overnight to resist that, you know, that texting temptation at, you know, some crazy hour mm-hmm. and so on. But once again, as we've all learned ourselves as parents, establishing those routines when they're young makes things a whole lot easier oh, as they get into their teen years where that phone becomes kind of their third arm. But they've known since they were very young that that's not in their bedroom, say, at sleeping time. Or when they are older, yes, it's in the bedroom, but it's only there for emergency situations. It's not there, you know, so that at midnight, all of a sudden we're texting or on social media, that sort of thing. No, very true. Well said. And then another thing for families to be aware of, are those signs of fatigue for your child? Looking for those hot hungry and tired signs and uh, when the children get older making sure that you're having those conversations with them about the importance of of sleep and the benefits of having a good good sleep habits and how you know they will be lifelong habits that promote their their good health Oh, no question. I mean, the better you sleep, then the more you enjoy and the more productive you are in your non-sleep hours. And recently read a, a researcher with this who made this great statement regarding, you know, kind of bedtime routines and so on. And it says, quote, bedtime isn't simply a way for the body to relax and recoup after a hard day working, studying or playing. In fact, it's the glue that allows us not only to recollect our experiences, but also to remember everything we've learned that day. And I just love that idea, once again, kind of the glue or the Velcro that kind of brings everything together. New experiences attached to previous experiences, and we also are constantly kind of reflecting on on the day. And I think that's really powerful moving forward. And now moving into healthy eating per se, I think it's really important once again to just reflect on the old adage about the importance of starting your day off with a good healthy breakfast. And far too many children and adults skip breakfast. And in skipping breakfast and skipping breakfast is associated with decreased cognitive performance, which includes the biggies, things like attention span, mm, yep. alertness, memory, 
processing, you know, more complex visual displays and just basic problem solving. And both as parents and educators, we have seen, you know, the results of kids coming to school who simply did not have the sleep and did not have anything to eat in the morning. And that well, really kind of sets the back. you just don't have that energy. But, you know, as you say, but it's more important than just eating breakfast. It's making sure you're eating a healthy breakfast. And I was listening to this podcast the other day, and he, they were talking about cereal and what they termed as instant food. And, you know, as a society, we've certainly become in the habit of eating a lot of prepared foods or foods that are prepared instantly. If you look at the instant oatmeal, the instant noodles, the instant soups, we're pros at the drive-through. So really making sure that those foods that you're eating are healthy choices. Well, and no question. And certainly I think it's number one, it's sad when we put such a high value on the word instant. Like we're, you know, it's just a reflection of our busy society. Yeah. And number two, uh, with parents with young children, as we all know, the, the marketing companies aren't dumb. And when it comes to displaying things like the high sugar, you know, kind of non-nutritious kind of cereals and stuff, they're always on the lowest shelves in the grocery store at eye level for our youngest kids to really draw attention to them. So parents, once again, just have to, you know, kind of always keep that in mind and make correct choices. Because cereals can be great for a healthy breakfast, as we know, but once again, some are very high in sugar, and we need to be looking at the cereal, cereals excuse me, that are whole grain, high in fiber, and contain some of the important vitamins like A, B6, B12, because numerous studies have shown that deficits on a daily basis in these nutrients are absolutely really re reflected in lower grades in students and higher rates of absenteeism and really kind of lateness for kids who are, you know, showing up fairly regularly, they're routinely 30, 60, 90 minutes late. And when you talk about the high sugar cereals, you know, it reminds me when our guys were young and it uh, stems from your habit because you love to mix cereals. Very is, true. Is, <laughs> you know, they would, ha they would have to have, you know, some of the more high fiber as the base. Whole grain cereals as the base and then mix in, you know, a little bit of their their favorite sugared cereals. And and uh, but on another note, too, really having kids look at the labels and seeing the quantities of sugars that are in those high, high sugar cereals really will help them learn and understand why you're trying to reduce those. And I also like, frankly, you know, Carol, the message when our guys were younger that they had what a healthy cereal is the majority of the bowl. And it really kind of reinforced the high sugar stuff on top really was considered kind of a treat. Mm, and then yes. they realized that we considered it a treat mm -hmm. rather than a staple item. And one thing that's interesting to note is that the greatest positive impact of having a healthy breakfast is on students who are at a nutritional risk. And certainly we both were in schools that offered breakfast programs Absolutely. and how essential it was for, for those students. And we also talked about it during EQAO, how we, we wanted to encourage students to have that healthy start to the day so that then they were going to be better able to show what they know on this standardized assessment. So Carol, I think it's now a perfect time to really 
address what are healthy choices for kids. And one of the biggest things that we can be ensuring our kids are doing is drinking large quantities of water because when kids are hydrated, they learn better, they're absorbing more information, they're more alert energized and focused and really reminds me of myself. I know when I become groggy that I need to go and get some water because that's my body telling me it's it's needing that water to be able to do the things that I'm trying to do. Well, for you to get rejuvenated. Yes. Well, and I think particularly with the warm weather coming uh, in May and June, uh, it's a perfect time to remind all parents of really all age of students that water bottles are most definitely uh, welcome and allowed in schools, uh, and students can bring them individually into the classrooms in those warm June days, because it just is unhealthy to be kind of that hot and dry and run down. And the reality is the vast majority of our schools do not have air conditioning, mm-hmm. so it's important to have that water with you. Another biggie is calcium, and calcium pro- promotes bone health and development. And studies have shown that 90% of girls and 70% of boys simply do not get enough calcium on a regular basis. And calcium really helps increase a child's energy level, reduces a risk of illness. And in terms of school, it really has been shown to speed intellectual and cognitive development. So it's really a biggie. Mm -hmm. And then a third is those carbohydrates, which is kind of that instant energy. And that's where we get most of our energy. And having that energy through the carbohydrates really helps to fight that fatigue and illness and distractions. And really recommending that kids are eating those those carbohydrates like whole grain cereals and the brown rice and, and potatoes because those are going to be the things that are very high in, in, in nutritious carbohydrates. And our last main category we're going to address in terms of food would be fruit. Now, kids get about half of their daily caloric intake from some type of snack And that's why, of course, it's so important that these snacks are healthy and fruit and bite-sized veggies and things of that nature are fantastic because kids receive, you know, a nutritious boost of energy rather than getting so-called bad calories from things that don't have all the other, you know, benefits of fruit. And as parents, I think most know what foods we need to encourage our children to eat, but there's always that situation when you have that fussy eater and, and it, you know, reminds me when our kids were younger that, you know, they liked peas. So we ate a lot of peas to make sure that they were getting some good, you know, good nutrients into them. And one of the things I felt was really important was that we modeled good, healthy eating as, as well. And I hate peas and I would <laughs> faithfully eat them at a meal and nothing made me happier than when they got into their teenage years and I figured we you know have established some really good healthy eating routines and I could say not eating them you guys go ahead and enjoy I was really impressed how you bit your tongue for many years over peas dear But boy, by the time the boys were both in mid-high school, the floodgates opened and the truth came out. (laughs) But you took one for the team, so I totally respect that. Now, in terms of kind of food and and, uh, really how we can embed that into learning in in addition to its nutritional benefits, certainly in our household, a biggie was the banana circle game. And for many years, when our kids were young, 
we'd be sitting at the kitchen table after a meal and part of dessert was a banana and we would cut them into little circles as the title would suggest for each of our sons and then ask them a variety of questions a lot of them were in terms of reinforcing math skills or basic problem solving or some kind of word play or things like that and it was a bit of a competition back and forth and they loved it it was a real enjoyable family time and after each correct answer they got to eat a banana circle and the first boy done their banana won so it was win 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 Bananas are fantastic because, of course, they're high in potassium and magnesium and various vitamins. And it was a great way to combine kind of healthy eating, great family time and some real learning. So bananas were a hot item in our family for many years. And if parents were to include kids in meal planning and the shopping and the preparation, that's a really great way as well to encourage that healthy eating. And it also reinforces literacy skills and math skills. And again, just provides another opportunity for families to be together and talk together and communicate with each other. Well, along those lines, Carol, uh, the bottom line is everyone in our modern world has a very busy schedule. And particularly if you have young families, it's all the more hectic. But I know you concur that it's really important as much as possible for families to sit down, share a meal as a group. Once again, so many social benefits, but it also reinforces what we're eating and and it kind of is a great opportunity to model healthy eating right with your kids mm-hmm. as well as have those those really important conversations with your kids and discussing their days and your day but to sum up healthy eating i found these these quotes that i liked and one was food tastes better when you eat it with your family and the other was the family who eats together stays together carol i must say that is really good food for thought Sorry, I couldn't help it. Thank you. (laughs) And the last category we want to address is, of course, physical activity. Now, typically, when we think of physical activity, we always think of the health benefits, which, of course, are huge. And they can be cardiovascular. They can be, obviously, in terms of building muscle. But we don't tend to think as much about, Carol, the benefits of your, you know, your cognitive well-being and your and uh, basically brain health mm-hmm. as you know being physically fit triggers greater amounts of oxygen being fed into the brain which is clearly going to help any of us cognitively certainly and students who are physically active tend to have better grades they're attending school on a regular basis and their their classroom behaviors are, are minimal. minimized and, yeah. and, really, yeah. and actually they really positive behave, they yeah yeah, yeah. They're just energetic, mm-hmm. but uh, very positive behavior. And I know as a school administrator along that line, it was a real priority of mine to, you know, as you well know, Carol, every month went out and bought additional balls, basketballs, soccer balls, footballs, et cetera, for our schoolyards because it helped reinforce the kind of, you know, constant motion and keep kids active. And also tons of, you know, social skills were learned in those games. But mm-hmm. the bottom line is you're outside for the better part of an hour at lunch we're doing an awful lot of running around and and sweating and, and so on and so forth and getting your body and brain recharged for a really productive afternoon. And really, we got to look at those those times as as positive times, because one thing research had shown was that time invested in physical activity does not negatively affect a student's academic achievement, that it's not taking away from time spent on academics. It's actually benefiting that time spent 
on academics. Well, that's a, that's a key point. And I think, once again, in terms of very busy families trying to do their very best for their children, a lot of well-intended parents we've met in our careers, Carol, they, you know, it's important to them to sign their kids up for after school, academic enrichment and tutoring and so on. And yes, these programs have some benefit. However, they're also, you know, very sedentary, and mm, you know, yep. generally, and they really take away from some prime opportunities for after school physical activity and, you know, for your kids. And I think in our modern world, what kids are missing most of all is free unstructured play and also, you know, after school and evenings are the opportunities for more organized play on teams and with clubs. Mm -hmm. And there was an article in the New York Times that indicated that children who are more active are better able to focus their attention. They're quicker at performing simple tasks, generally have better working memories and better problem solving skills than, than children who are less active. So, uh, you know, what they're really recommending is that children should get at least 60 minutes per day of moderate to vigorous physical activity, whether that be during the school day, but also at home and in their home lives. I think you raise a really, you know, key point, Carol, that the 60 minutes per day is really important, but it needs to kind of occur with a combination of home opportunities and school opportunities. Obviously, in a 300-minute school day of academic time, we can't allot, you know, 60 minutes for physical activity no. and get everything else in, but that's where recess times need to be active, but that's where certainly after school and in the evenings, your children need to be active. And on weekends, of course, your kids should be really active. And it's not a question of everything has to be organized and everything has to be expensive. No. Just let them play. And certainly one of the biggest takeaways overall, I think it's really important for all families to consider, is that once again, Carol, time focusing on physical activity does not come at the expense of no. good grades in mm -hmm. school. The bottom line is it's not an either-or proposition. They work very well together, regular exercise and success at school align very, very nicely. So then how as a parent, you know, do I encourage that physical activity with my, ch my child or my children? Well, as with most uh, things, nothing is more powerful than being a role model. Uh, and as you know, for many years, you've been a very keen swimmer. I've enjoyed, enjoyed, excuse me, jogging. And we've done that regularly for years. And our kids have seen that from a very young age. And also, when you uh, kids see you being active really directly with them, once again, you're modeling things. And as you know, for many, many years, uh, I played a ton of road hockey with the kids and their friends. And once again, they saw me directly embedded in the activity. And you also did lots of things physically with the kids. Mm-hmm. Shifty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But also, it's important to make physical fitness part of your child's day. So if you're able that walk with your kids to school or have them walk to school or they ride their bikes. That's a great way to to build that physical fitness into into the day. And and, you know, as we keep saying, we recognize families are busy. Perhaps, you know, one thing can be done is organize a neighborhood walk or, or a bike pool so that then, you know, various families are taking a group of children to, to school on different days so that then, you know, they are able to get 
that physical fitness. And But then we also have to really think of, of the environmental benefits as well and what we're teaching our kids when we're walking and biking those short distances as opposed to hopping in the car and, and doing them. Well, in terms of environmental benefits, uh, I totally agree. And also that really leads nicely into all the outdoor chores mm-hmm. in terms of protecting our environment, let alone our, our own lawn and property. But get your kids actively involved in raking leaves, pulling weeds, you know, depending on their age, watering plants. They can certainly clean out the garage. And Well, and do- I think cleaning out the garage is a great time to, you know, you find all these things that you, you forgot were there and those all those lovely little hidden treasures. So it can be kind of that treasure hunt to make it fun. I can't count all the <clears throat> treasures we found in our garage over the years, Carol. And, you know... Some people I know like to throw in music and kind of as they're doing these family activities and cleanups, and that's a lot of fun. And once again, we're doing all of this as a family unit. And screen time is something that's inevitable. We know it's a part of daily life now. But as parents, let's try and make that screen time an active time. So trying to encourage your, your, your children to you know, play those games like tennis and bowling and baseball or doing dance videos where, yes, they're playing video games, but they're up, they're active. And then also, again, reinforcing that time by doing it as a family so you can see the the benefits of that. As you say, the technology and the screen time is kind of inevitable. But let's also look at things that, you know, we would have done decades ago, long before Internet, et cetera. And the timeless things such as, you know, hopscotch and skipping and frisbee and the badminton and tennis. And of course, nothing beats a good old swim or a good old skate, depending on the season. And really be aware of what's going on in your local park, you know, for the summer, lots of different programs. Mm -hmm. And as we mentioned earlier, take advantage of our environment and our conservation areas are beautiful. That's where you're going to combine good quality family time. And of course, everyone's going to get a good workout. And then there's also those competitive activities. So if families are able to, to sign kids up for the different sports programs, because there's a lot of different skills that are developed through those competitive sports, but really encouraging families to have their children try a variety of sports, both the team sport and the individual sport, to really help the kids find out what it is that is their real interest. And there's lots of ways for kids to be active, and you can engage in many activities as a family, which truly then benefits everyone. So I hope that everybody has enjoyed World Bicycle Day. And just to end off with this quote, that healthy, happy parents make healthy, happy children. As always, if you have any questions or comments, please email us at info at jamiebricker.com or contact us through our website at www.brickerbybricker.com. And always remember that you can follow us on Voice Ed Radio, but if you have another format that you're using, we're also available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Anchor. And we look forward to connecting with you next time on Bricker by Bricker. Bricker.